Here we go, another episode of the Final Score Podcast. Very excited about this particular episode because we will welcome on one of the new members of the Orioles broadcast team, Jeff Arnold. Excited to talk to Jeff about his new gig after uh, he spent five years um, working as the director of uh, broadcasting and public relations for the Frederick Keys. Uh, Jeff uh, got his call to the big leagues, uh, so to speak. So I can't wait to talk to him about that uh, and uh, just what's ahead for him, uh, the makeup of the new Orioles broadcast team, and, and, and what his thoughts just on the, on the team in general. Expectations aren't very high for the Orioles, but... Uh, Jeff is down at spring training right now in Sarasota, and we'll uh, get his early impressions of what the Orioles might look like this season. So we'll have Jeff on in a few minutes. Uh, but first, uh, here with me in the studio is uh, Joe Ferraro of the Frederick News Post Sports Department, and we are going to set the scene for the state basketball quarterfinals. This is a new round this year. This didn't previously exist until this season. Uh, the state quarterfinals are new to all MPSSAA team sports. And, Joe, I guess first, just what sort of a feel have you gotten from the coaches about what they think about this quarterfinal round? Or, or Do they like it? Um, or are they unsure of it? Just um, w- what have you sensed from coaches so far about how they feel about this? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, getting <laughs> – Getting a chance to get a you know a region title that, that's got to be you know appealing, but uh, I'm sure you know for those who who have been there and done that you know to 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 have to you know turn around and have just you know just one day to to prepare for the quarterfinals that's uh, you know probably not not as appealing, but you know shoot I mean with uh, with the playoffs now gosh we've got you know Catoctin here's a Catoctin team that hasn't won a region title in 39 years. Frederick hadn't won one uh, in 13 this years. Is, this, this is, is boys. the boys. Yeah, right. This is the boys. Yeah. Uh, so, so for for uh, schools like that, it, it's got to be uh, an exciting time. You know, these these kids, you know, getting up on step ladders and you know cutting down nets. Um, I'm sure, sure, sure they they uh, they like it uh, pretty much. Right. But do you think the region title has been diminished somewhat? But by, by by this new layer of playoffs, and you only have to win I, a couple of games. I think so. You, I think so. And, you, and you're not going to the state semifinals anymore by by winning the region. So yeah. you're you're three wins away from a state title. Sure. As opposed to two. Yep, yep, and you know to to be in uh, in the region playoffs, win two games, and you know declare yourself a, a region uh, champion. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, not the same, it's, right? It's, it's, it's got a different feel, uh, definitely. Right, like Oakdale, I, I covered the Oakdale. Uh, Oakdale beat Middletown uh, to win two uh, A West Region Two in boys basketball. And there was even some debate uh, among the Oakdale people whether cutting down the nets was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now, Oakdale, this is the third straight year they've claimed a region title, so this is not something that's new to them. But but they know that they're still potentially three games ahead, and, and did it feel right to cut down the nets with still three games ahead before you have to win a championship? So they, they did cut down the nets, but, but, but there was some debate about whether that was going to happen. But, but for a school like Catoctin, hadn't done it in uh, – 39 years frederick uh, 13 years i mean by all means yeah. i mean th- those teams are going to want to want the chance to celebrate and, and have earned it so so they're going to do it but yeah. but for a team like oakdale um uh Fre- i mean teams like the frederick girls middletown uh, who did it last year middletown girls uh you wonder if they debated cutting down the nets and just just what the significance of the region championship was to them yeah and and, uh you know a big thing of it you know people in the past have associated you know making the state tournament to taking that bus ride over to the university of maryland or or towson or or, or towson or towson for the girls so you know actually you know talking to to brandon long earlier this year they said their you know their goal was to make it back to the university of maryland so so there's you know there's something to be said for that and and that's something you know to win that extra game that's something that you that you truly earn and you know for for the teams that have been there and done that you know i'm sure you know across the board you know whether it's oakdale boys middletown girls they uh, i'm sure that's that's something they they target you know getting back to the xfinity center right the other interesting thing that brandon Long said after the Middletown win 
was that for football, this is ideal because you have a week to prepare for this state quarterfinal round. I mean, it, it's like a normal week. But again, for these basketball coaches, as you pointed out, Joe, it's it's a really fast 24-hour to 48-hour yep. uh, turnaround, and, and, and you're playing a high-caliber opponent because they do reseed. So... Um, so it's not, it's not much prep time and, and your season is on the line here. So, um, and these aren't teams that you're familiar with probably. It's not like you've played yep. in some cases, like the Middletown girls are going to play Liberty and we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, so that they're somewhat from, I mean, they've probably seen each other before, but, but for a lot of these teams, they haven't even seen each other and they have about a day and a half to get acquainted before they're playing to keep their season alive. So that's another interesting re, uh, a wrinkle with this. Is like There's not much prep time for these basketball teams. I imagine for the other sports, it'll play out similarly where there's not a lot of prep time. It's not like football where you have a week sure. uh, to get ready. So, so it'll be interesting to talk to some of these coaches how they feel about this quarterfinal round once they've been through it once and, and, and see if they like it or see if they like the old way. Um, but right now, let's let's set the scene. We we know the girls' matchups. Uh, we don't know the boys' matchups yet, as of this recording. We we know that the bo- the boys' teams that are in, but we have six teams left overall: three boys, three girls. Frederick and Catoctin are in on both the boys and the girls' side. Middletown joins them uh, on the girls' side. Uh, Oakdale joins them on the boys' side. Um, th- start with the Frederick girls, the three-time reigning uh, Class Three A champions. They will host Bel Air uh, in, in the state quarterfinals. Um, uh, Bel Air is a 16 and two team. Uh, Frederick, I believe, is uh, 19 and four, if if I'm not mistaken. So Frederick's a hard team to get read on right now uh, because their team has changed a lot since the start of February, but they're still winning, um, and they have a great player in, in Rose Bubakar. And they just beat Tuscarora by almost thirty points in in in, in their region final. So, um, so have things settled for them, or, or are they now playing better than they were initially? Um, um, a, a, after all these changes with the coaching staff and, and the roster took place, I mean it's hard to tell because they played in Middletown in the CMC championship game, and Middletown uh, uh, thumped them uh, pretty soundly. So the Frederick girls are a hard team to read right now. They play a Bel Air team that's sixteen and two. So you have to imagine a sixteen and two team is a pretty credible team. Can Fr- Frederick beat them? I mean, you would have to say yes, uh, given given their pedigree. But but Bel Air could be a challenge for them. I, I I'd say yes, uh, just because uh, right now we've been what there's been what five or six games since uh, all all these drastic changes and so so you've got you know a handful of uh, JV girls who were suddenly brought up to to join the varsity who are you know who've gotten a chance to get their feet wet and now they're they're starting to get you know a little bit more playing time and and uh, Frederick the the team itself getting you know contributions from from other sources you know besides their 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 starters so so you know, in, the, in that respect, um, I, I think they're you know a little bit more you know better prepared now than than if uh, all these drastic changes you know happen you know right right now as we speak. Uh, uh, you know, am I going to say that you know Frederick's a, a lock to, <laughs> to to win another state title? Uh, uh, probably not. But but uh, you know, I, I like uh, you know like their chances uh, uh, tomorrow at home. Uh, yeah. against Bel Air. And like yeah. we were talking with our colleague John Kennan about this. In basketball, all you need is one player to really to really make a huge difference for you. Frederick has a great player in Rose Bubakar. Maybe maybe that's what they need to make another run at this thing. Maybe that's all they need. So that and, because one player makes a huge impact in basketball, more yeah. more more so than other sports. Yeah, so. that and 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 the defense. Uh, you know the you know the full court press uh, or yeah. in the early stages they they did not lean on that you know that much you know probably you know just trying to uh hold it in their back pocket and use it when they absolutely needed it you know just because they didn't have uh, a, a ton of experienced players uh you know from what i've uh, i've read they used it uh, a little bit more in their last game so you know so now uh, and again another indication of maybe you know some of those jv players you know really you know starting to get uh, get into it and you know be uh 
comfortable in, in the system. Right. It's a 4-5 matchup. Frederick is the number four seed. Belair is the number five seed in uh, yep. Class 3A. Um, the Middletown girls, meanwhile, will be trying to get back to another state final and win it this year. Um, they start their run in what I guess we can call the state tournament. Uh, they're the number two seed in 2A, and they will take on uh, a Liberty, um, a Carroll County team they're probably pretty familiar with. And you would have to like Middletown's chances in that game. Sure. Uh, yep. Liberty's 14-6, and six, but the Frederick County teams have uh, done very well against Carroll County and Washington County schools in recent years. And you just have to like Middletown, and especially as the number two seed in that matchup. Yeah. They'll, they'll be they'll be at home as well on Friday night. Yeah, and, and they face some some really good teams. Uh, you know, this year when holiday tournament, they, you know, they played, you know, Roland Park, which has um, <laughs> another uh, UConn commit in uh, in uh, Mira McLean, and so you know, matchup of two two UConn uh, recruits along with Sailor Poffenbarger. So. Yeah, so they they know what it's like to be um, to be tested, uh, and, and they were tested against uh, against Oakdale for three quarters. So you know, I think that that really helps them that that uh, going into that matchup that they really had the fight and claw for that win. Uh, they'll probably remember that feeling, and if they find their, themselves in, the, in that position again, you know, from here on out, uh, they'll be all set. All right, uh, of all the Frederick County teams, I think Middletown maybe has the best shot at winning the state title, just given on how they're playing the 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 roster makeup um coaching just just all the factors combined you 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 would have to like their chances uh above above all others uh i I would say um the other girls matchup uh catoctin uh in a another four or five matchup uh they are on the road against uh baltimore's coppin academy uh coppin academy the four catoctin the five Catoctin girls have been playing very well this year. Uh, Fifteen and five, I believe. Coppin Academy with a similar record, um, and it's, it's it's a game. That, uh, it's a hard game to get read on because we don't know anything about Coppin Academy. Um, but I mean, Catoctin uh, is is proven um, that they could beat some good teams on the road. They beat Williamsport on the road. Uh, they they faced some tough teams on the road. They played Middletown. They played Oakdale. They played a lot of the top teams in Frederick County. So. I, I'd give them a chance to win that game. Yeah, I mean, because you know the opponents that you just mentioned, you know, they're I don't think they're going to enter in this, uh, you know, scared, you know, uh, because because they have played those the, those teams and uh, you know they didn't you know completely fold in them, you know, either. So so you know they <laughs> they they've been tested, they've been prepared, and uh, and they'll be uh, they'll be in it uh, come tomorrow. Right. Uh, so that's the girls. Um, Middletown and Frederick are at home, um, trying to get back to state finals. Catoctin trying to make a deep run in states for the first time in a long time. Uh, they are on the road at Coppin Academy. Uh, the boys, we don't quite have the matchups yet, but we sort of have an idea where they're going to shake out. Uh, the Catoctin boys, uh, this is seeded based on winning percentage. Right. They came in with what, a 14, 14 and 6 record. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and so and so it looks like um, you know, from what I saw, if, if it's accurate, what we saw online, you, there are five teams in that bracket, five region champions. That is that you know that entered you know the tournament with better with winning better, with better uh, records, better better winning percentages than than Catoctin. So, so right now they're looking at you know somewhere actually, it's it's a deal where uh, uh, let's see with. Um, yeah, they're they're actually tied uh, with another team, so so they're going to be somewhere between six and eight, and so which, which means a road game Saturday. Which, well, right? Yeah, I mean they'll be on the road, and so and so you know if they if they uh, run into the likes of um, you know an Edmondson, you know Westside or or Havard of Grace, uh, you know, two, it'll be a t- two tall order. Yeah, generally do well there. That, that's going to be a tough task. Yeah. Uh, Oakdale will be at home Saturday. Um, They're the number three seed, according to Brandon Long, uh, in uh, 2A. Uh, They're likely to host Elkton, a 12-8 and eight team, uh, at the start of the playoffs, and that's probably a team that they could beat, uh, especially given Oakdale's pedigree. So so you got to like Oakdale's chances to get back to the state semifinals. A likely Oakdale-Elkton matchup Saturday night at Oakdale. Uh, Frederick... Is sort of the surprise team uh, in, in yep. this mix. Catoctin was a top seed 
Uh, Oakdale was a top seed, but Frederick, uh, I think a lot of people were looking at Ligonor to, to, to come through um, in, in their region, but uh, Ligonor was upset by the team that Frederick beat for the region title, and that's North Hagerstown. So Frederick is likely to be on the road too because they weren't even a high they weren't even the highest seed in their region. Right. So, uh, right. So they're likely facing a road game in a very loaded 3A classification with the <laughs> likes of Baltimore Poly, uh, a, a national caliber type team, and stuff like that. So Frederick's likely facing a tough road too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Poly, you know, you throw throw St. Charles in there, which hasn't lost uh, so far this year. You know, nor- Northeast, uh, two teams that generally. Do well. It'll be um, you know interesting to see uh, where they they actually land because there's a couple of teams. They're one, one of three teams I, I believe that had the same record, you know, <laughs> going into this. So it'll be interesting to see where where, where they're seated. Uh, so yeah, the three A boy. That's uh, it seems like like that's the that's the upset uh, bracket. You've got you know Frederick, which is a you know, number three seed. Uh, Athelton uh, upset. Uh, Reservoir, which you know regularly goes to the, the state tournament, they, they are number three seed. Wild Lake number four, so we'll see how how that shakes out uh, when the seedings come out. Yeah, and, and for the teams that win their quarterfinal matchups, um, state semifinals are next Thursday and Friday at, at both Towson for the girls, University of Maryland, Xfinity Center for the boys, and then all the state finals for teams that get through are next Saturday. Um, so, uh, we'll see, we'll see how we fare. Uh, Joe, appreciate it as always. And, uh, and we'll have you back on next week to, to analyze, um, some of these matchups. Look forward to it. And then, uh, we got Jeff on deck and, uh, I will, I will say that I actually took in, uh, a TV broadcast of his and, and he, he was great. He, wasn't he, 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 he yeah. was fantastic. So, yeah. you know, well-deserved for Jeff, happy for him. And, uh, and it's good for the Orioles, that's for sure. Right, they made a good move, didn't they, finally. So um, so we will talk to Jeff when, when we come back from uh, sunny Sarasota. So stay tuned here on The Final Score. My guest this week is certainly no stranger to this podcast. Uh, we typically have him on uh, right around this time of year. He's a longtime friend, a professional confidant, and he just so happens to be the one of the newest members of the Orioles broadcast team from what I presume is sunny and warm Sarasota, Florida. Let's say hello to uh, Jeff Arnold. All right, Jeff, make us jealous. What is the weather today in uh, Sarasota? I would say, Greg, that the weather today is probably in the low 70s. And it's oh, geez. Very what, what, pleasant. What, what, okay. But what happened to your warmth? Aren't you guys supposed to be in the 80s at this time of year? We were in the 80s some yesterday. I think we've been consistently in the 70s or 80s, though, so pretty much perfect baseball weather. Have you had a chance to pull up a hammock and uh, take a nap with with, with the palm fronds um, um, blowing uh, uh, and stuff like that? Well, you know, not really. Most of my time <laughs> has been spent getting ready for, for the season and doing notes and preparations on the Orioles and then also spending some time doing some work on the opposing team. So when we're taping this, it's the day before the Orioles play the Minnesota Twins in an exhibition game at Ed Smith Stadium. So uh, my time earlier was spent doing some work on the Orioles and catching up on some different things and doing some other research on some players that maybe I haven't had a lot of time to, to look into yet and then just you know staying up to date on everything that's going on. And then tonight we'll be doing some advance work on the Twins. I've got the pitchers that are going to pitch tomorrow for them. And and then I've got some different information that I have to, to read and sift through and uh, make sure that I'm getting ready and prepared because uh, tomorrow I'll be working with Brian Roberts and uh, just also passed along some info to him that I've been able to come across and just doing your basic preparation for any game that, you, that, you, that you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just joshing you. You're not down in Florida on vacation. You, you're, you're, you're down there to work. Cause you, you, cause you Maybe those, at um, some point, though, we can do a hammock. We'll find a hammock someplace. Or yeah, we you can, should. We can uh, enjoy pull up, have a, have a, have a, a, a pina colada or something like that. So. Well, last night, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, me and Brett Hollander, one of the new members of the Orioles broadcast team, who actually went to college with me, we went to Siesta Key last night along with a couple of the, the writers and – and then we went out to a, to a sports bar afterwards. So yesterday was a lot of fun. We did some different things. But tonight my dad and I are going to go out and have some dinner. And then I'll come back and do my work and then head to bed hopefully at a reasonable hour. 
Yeah, our listeners know you as the uh, broadcaster, the longtime uh, broadcaster, long time being five years, but but uh, the veteran broadcaster from Frederick Keys, Jeff. But after five years as the team's uh, uh, lead broadcaster and uh, director of uh, PR, um, you got the call to the big leagues. Uh, what was that moment like for you? Well, it was pretty incredible. I was actually uh, – they, they reached out to me in November to let me know that um, they were looking at maybe making some changes slash additions to their broadcast department. And so I submitted a lot of materials then – and then we get to December, and I followed up, and they said, we're, we're still going through everything, but we'll be in touch just after the first of the year. And January 2nd, they touched base, and they said, hey, do you have some time to get on the phone tomorrow? And at that point, I was cautiously optimistic that it was good news because I figured if it wasn't, they would have just emailed me and said, hey, we're, it's not going to work out. But they reached out and, and gave me a call, and they told me that uh, we're looking to do a, a little bit more with two play-by-play guys like we used to have with Joe Angel and Fred Manfra. And it's an opportunity to do a, a pretty substantial amount of games, you know, probably around 150 games or maybe the full schedule. And we're really, um, we were really interested in working with you. And then when they said, "Do you have representation?" That was kind of the point where I was like, oh, "Okay, so this is this is pretty serious." And from there, they brought me to Camden Yards, and we had a I had a meeting with a couple of different people, and it went really well. And then at the end of the week, they told me what uh, the the package was, and it's basically 150 games, mostly doing radio play-by-play, and then uh, a little bit of TV work during spring training, and then just a variety of other things. Like we all contribute digital content to the team and uh, just a a mix of different uh, things that, that we're all kind of as a broadcast team responsible for doing. And so um, that was that was pretty incredible. It was definitely a, a dream come true, and uh, we were able to get everything worked out. And so I was I was really excited when when they let me know. And uh, so far, we're we're off to a pretty good start. What was the first thought that went through your head when you knew you had the job? Um, it was I don't know if it was maybe the first thought, but maybe the first feeling was pretty vindicating because I stuck it out for a long time. I always thought I was I had a lot of talent. I, I kind of figured that at some point something good was going to come along and that some great opportunity would present itself eventually. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure it was going to be what I ended up getting here, but I was optimistic that something good was coming. And sure enough, it, it, it did. And I was it was a vindicating feeling to know that I bet on myself. I stuck with it, and I eventually uh, got what was for me the, the dream job. And who was the first person you called? Um, I, you know, it was probably my parents, probably just to let them know what was going on and uh, to kind of keep them updated as to what was happening, um, and just to to you know to let them know, hey, that, that this this might end up working out. Um, I wasn't really able to share anything with anybody um, except for family members for a, a while. Um, and really immediate family members just because they, they wanted me to, to, to keep it under wraps. And so uh, just a bunch of the people that I would have liked to have told, I really wasn't able to, to talk about it. But um, once uh, once it got announced, it was really cool to hear from a lot of different people and to be able to pass it along and, and chat with some folks that um, had been really integral to my journey and being able to get there. Yeah, I mean, what, what's the general reaction that people have uh, have uh, given you. What what have people been saying to you? So far, it's been really positive. I mean, everybody's been very kind and welcoming since I've arrived here. It's been nice that I know everybody on the PR staff, and I've worked with them for a couple of years, and we've had a good relationship before, and they've been all great since I've gotten back here. Uh, all the writers that I've gotten to know, and, and I know pretty much everybody uh, from the past, but they've all been super nice and welcoming, and. They've always been able to answer any questions that I had in terms of different players, and at the you know probably in the first week or so, maybe some dumber questions like, "So, is this person you think going to make the team? What's this person's situation? Like, what's this guy's best pitch? Like, just a bunch of different questions that you, you probably need to get answered that they can fill you in on and um, let you know if you're kind of doing the right thing or, or you know thinking about things the right way." Um, but the the reaction so far has been really positive, and everybody's been super kind as I've I've gotten going, and uh, hopefully through the first couple of games, everybody um, 
is um, you know enjoying what 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 we've been able to do so far, and um, I think kind of as the season gets going and we get to know the team better, and um, and then as I get to know not only the players but the the fans and and everybody that it's the product's only going to get better as the the year progresses. This is exactly like a ball player getting called to the majors, right? I mean, here you are, you're you're, you're in the minor leagues, you're working your way up the ranks, and then and then you get to call up. Up to the up to the big club, it's it, it's parallel, right? It, it's just like a, a player getting the call to the majors. It sort of is that way. I, I would say that it's probably unusual that it were to work out that way, but I think given where the Orioles are in their rebuilding process, I mean, it kind of started with them and their baseball operations side of things and making a number of hires to get everything up to speed, and then also doing a lot of different work and hiring over the course of the off season. And then the, there were a lot of changes on the business side of things once last season ended. And then they decided to, to make some changes on the broadcasting side of things as well. I mean, as they kind of told us in a meeting that we had last week, you know, we're at a time where we have so many different channels and ways that we communicate information with our fans, be it game broadcast, pre- and post-game stuff, digital content, podcasts, uh, website, a bunch of different things that we're doing and so many different avenues in which to connect with people. So that's the reason when people are like, you know, there are 19 now different broadcasters on your team. Is I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, looking at this, I'm looking at this list, Jeff, and, th- and the roster is comparable to a major league roster. I mean, have you, you guys have to cut down to 25 broadcasters <laughs> uh, uh, per, per game. It's, it's funny, but, you know, it, it, Kevin Brown, one of our – one of my colleagues and a guy that I'll work a lot with on the radio was saying we should have a steel cage death match to, to determine who will survive. I think if it's me, I'm probably going to pick Rock Kubako. But um, the, the reason why we do it this way is just because, like, like, they, like they told us, there are so many different channels and ways that we're required to communicate with people and to get the most out of the content that we produce. And there's so many different yeah. forms of content that we're producing. And so that's the reason why... I think you see so many people involved, but if you look at you know my role, I'm I'm consistently doing radio. Gary Thorne is consistently on television. Um, a lot of the I think kind of moving and shaking and a bunch of the different pieces sort of has to do I think more with like pregame and postgame shows and that type of stuff, um, and, and maybe some of the different analysts that are in the mix. But but for the most part, like you're going to hear me most nights on radio. You're going to hear Gary Thorne. Um, most nights, I'd say, on television. And then you'll have Scott Garceau in there, and then I'll work with Kevin Brown, and then I'll work with uh, Melanie Newman a little bit, and then a bunch of different analysts that, that come in. But all are really talented, all bring different things to the table and different perspectives. And I think that somebody that's listening or, or watching to an Orioles game night in and night out is going to be able to hear a bunch of different things and, and learn a bunch of different things about the team uh, based on the different you know really talented people that they have have that, that come in each and every night. And another thing that people forget or might not fully appreciate is like for the next six months, like this is pretty much every day, every week. Uh, I mean, you're going to get some off days uh, sprinkled in obviously, but, but this is going to be your almost 24 seven job for, uh, for the next six months. So, so when you have all these different platforms and, and, and outlets like, like, like you referenced today, you, you need a lot of people to, to, to help uh, uh, fill it up. So, um, when when you set out as a broadcaster, when when you began this journey that that's really paid off for you, and, and you know I think highly of your work, and you this is a fully deserved opportunity for you. Um, uh, was was calling Major League Baseball was that always the dream, or were, were you thinking maybe you weren't sure what sport you were going to do? I mean, I think it was always the dream. I mean, baseball is my favorite sport to do, and it's the sport that I have the greatest connection to. And so I was always hopeful it was going to be Major League Baseball, but it doesn't matter if it's Major League Baseball or NBA or NFL or uh, Power Five college basketball, college baseball, and uh, college football type job. They're really, really hard to get, and there are not a lot of them out there. So I think you just hope that by putting yourself in a position where you do a lot of work and you're trying to expand your uh, skill set every year and you're trying to do higher level work and and for me it was kind of doing that with doing stuff on television doing 
um, some stuff with the ACC network, doing some different things with major market radio station. Like I did some stuff with 106.7 The Fan before I got this opportunity and just kind of adding to your, you know, different types of work that you're doing every year. You're showing you launched them. a web. You launched a website. Exactly. I mean, I put a website together doing all these different types of things to show people like the Orioles that you're able to come to their team and right away bring out a high caliber product that people are going to enjoy and that is going to be synonymous with the different type of broadcast talent that they have had over the years that they have done this. I mean, think about this. Like Jim Hunter has had a tremendous career. Prior to him, you had Joe Angel, who in my opinion is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Fred Manfred had an incredible career with the Orioles. Um, going back a little bit farther, you have Chuck Thompson, who's a Hall of Famer. You have John Miller, who's a Hall of Famer. Like It's a pretty great lineage of broadcasters that have come through Baltimore and done Orioles games. And they, for, for me, it's, it's obviously I understand what the expectations are, and that's why I worked so hard to make sure that if I ever got an opportunity that I would be in a position to, to produce right away for them. And also why now that I've been here, like even today's an off day, but it's it's doing your work and getting prepared to make sure that when I go on the air tomorrow and then Friday and then Saturday and then all the other days where I'm going to be doing games, it's to make sure that, you know, I'm living up to the expectations that guy that, that I'm able to live up to the expectations and the lineage of broadcasters that have come before me because it's it's a very, very talented group. I mean, the Orioles' lineage of broadcasters is as good as it gets. And so I understand that, and that's why I put so much time in to, to be sure I was prepared for an opportunity like this. And now that I have it, uh, to make sure that I'm continuing to improve and get better and to give people a product that they're going to be like, okay, like we're, we're okay listening to this guy after all the people that came before him. How did you keep pushing forward and stay positive when the opportunity maybe didn't present itself as as fast as you wanted wanted it to? I would say it was belief in myself that I was good enough to be getting an opportunity like this, that I was doing it the right way, that I was putting in the time and the effort. Like if I looked at my effort, I don't think I ever really let down. I just kept going, and I don't think I ever – you know, felt sorry for myself and stopped working. I always kept working at doing what it is that I wanted to do. I always kept trying to improve. Bob Sosie, who's one of the former Keys broadcasters as well, who is now one of the voices of the, who's now the, the voice of the New England Patriots, you know, one thing that he stressed to me when we chatted was that you just have to work to try and get better every broadcast because you can control that. And that's what I really focused on. I mean, every week where I would do keys games on Sundays, I would listen back to games that I would do that week and I would pop in, you know, a couple innings and I would listen to how they sounded. I didn't listen to the entire game, but I would listen to random innings to make sure that I'm doing my job, that I'm saying the score enough, that I'm resetting enough, that I'm, if I'm telling a story that it, I'm doing it in a way that's, you know, clean and easy to listen to. Um, so it's, uh, you know, reaching out to people that can give me advice or critiques or pick their brain or doing a bunch of different things. Um, that's what I continued to do all the time while I was there. And so I figured that as long as I was putting in the work and I was doing it the right way and people kept telling me you're doing the right things. And then every year it seemed like I kept adding more work to my a portfolio and I just kept getting you know the, I kept trending in the right direction there were times where maybe it, it it took a little longer than I wanted it to but but every year it kept getting a little bit better I wasn't going in the wrong direction so I think maybe when you you see you know incremental progress every year that's maybe your sign that you're doing the right stuff and that eventually something great's going to happen and eventually it did and and you're willing to take criticism. I mean that 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 that's becoming a rare skill in in in, in this day and age. People kind of just want to hear what they want to hear. But but you you you're willing to put yourself out there and and subject yourself to an honest critique. Like it like if someone told you you stunk, you were willing to listen listen to that. I'm I'm sure not a lot of people did, but but you were willing to listen to that and improve as a result. So you were you you took that honesty and 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 worked to get better constantly. And not everyone's willing to do that in this day and age. Well, th- I appreciate you saying that, and and that's the the reason I think why I'm here because the people that are in my 
lifetime board of advisors, I guess you'd call it, were there to listen to my work and to tell me if I was on the right track. And if I was not doing something well, or if they heard something of what I was doing and they didn't like it, they were telling me that they didn't like it. They weren't just like, well, you know, it sounds, sounds okay or sounds this or whatever. They were honestly giving me feedback to let me know that it needed to be improved or and, and if, you were willing to hear it too because not everyone's yes. willing to hear it i mean they, they think they want honest advice but they don't really but you were willing to listen to it uh, to take take the good with the bad or the bad with the good and, and 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 go from there because they were giving you their honest take and that's true and then from learning from those people i thought i was able to give myself a pretty honest critique because it helps a lot when you're a good self-evaluator and able to listen to something back and be like, oh, I didn't do that very well. And if you can do that you know, consistently, then you can make the adjustments on your own before someone else has to tell you. And I'm pretty honest with myself, maybe sometimes to a fault, um, but that's the type of stuff that makes sure that I'm continuing to improve and get better. And I have a pretty good group of people, and it's not a big group, it's a small group, that if I'm not doing something right or I'm messing something up or I need to be better at something, they're telling me and they're doing it right away. And then I can look at stuff as well and compare it to people who I really like, who maybe I I sound like or who I respect, and then see how they do something. And then if I'm seeing that I'm not necessarily quite up to speed or not necessarily doing it the right way, then I'm able to make an adjustment and I'm pretty good at, at doing that, and I think that's what helped me as I went along. I mean, there are going to be people that you know here that aren't going to like you, but people find a way to not like Doc Emmerich. People find a way not to like Al Michaels. People find a way not to like people who are really, really good at what they do, and that's just the way it goes. As long as I'm doing my job and as I'm prepared and as long as the people that uh, who I report to and the people that are in my board of advisors who – look at my work and as long as they think that I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right thing um, then I think that's an indicator of uh, of where I am uh, because you're never going to be able to please everybody so all I try and do is just work hard and prepare and um, if, if you know if somebody points something out um, I'll definitely listen to them um, because it's it's a three-hour broadcast or more a day and you're going to it's impossible to come out of every game entirely clean um, but as long as you're putting the work in and you're working hard and making sure you're prepared and you're you're learning more every day and you're you're going about it the right way and you're a nice person I think that generally things tend to turn out okay yeah, who who are the voices of your baseball childhood, Jeff? Uh, for me, it was Harry Callis who did the Phillies for years. He was my favorite. He had an incredible voice and an incredible way about him. And I think I I learned more about Harry as I got older from some different people that knew him, and then also from reading his book. And I think he was just somebody that I hopefully will. I mean, I, I'd love to have a career as long as he had in Philadelphia here in Baltimore. And just the way that he went about his business and was great to everybody and not only was a great broadcaster, but was a great ambassador and great in the community. That's kind of what I'm I'm trying to emulate as I begin things here with the Orioles. Have you ever tried to pattern yourself after a certain broadcaster or have you always just tried to be you? I've always tried to be me, but I also think I understand that good broadcasters sound like X. And then I think it's okay as well to understand that you know, maybe there are things you can take away from a certain broadcaster that you might try and employ. You don't copy anybody ever. You need to be yourself, but maybe by listening to some people, you can learn this is maybe something to try, or this would be good to do, or here's a little trick uh, to be a little bit better when you're doing an on camera on television, or maybe this is a good little trick to employ when you're calling a stolen base. Uh, and then there's also the other side of it. You'll maybe hear somebody be like, yeah, that's not the way to do it. Or maybe I don't want to try and do it that way. Um, so I think you can learn kind of from people both what to do and sometimes what not to do. And that just helps you round out your own style. But I'd say for me, um, the way that I do games is is me. And it's uh, when, when people turn on the radio or television there they know that they're getting who i am and what i do and and i'm doing it the way that i'm most comfortable doing it and just the way that's most natural for me 
Do you find that most young broadcasters are trying to be someone else and not not being themselves? I don't know necessarily if that's the case. I think just being a broadcaster takes a really long time to figure out who you are. Um, when you come out of college, there's just such a large learning curve, and you're trying to figure out your own style and what you do. I would say that when I started broadcasting, I learned first who I wasn't before I started learning who I was. And it was a couple years discovery process for baseball. I mean, I'd say it took me a good four or five years of doing baseball before I finally got comfortable with who I was and what I wanted to be and what I wanted my style to be like. And there were some times where I stumbled across some stuff where I was like, oh, I, I really like the way I did that. And then then maybe I'd go back and listen later and be like, yeah, I didn't necessarily like the way I did that. Um, so I kind of learned both from successes and failures, but that's just part of being a broadcaster. And I think if maybe there's a couple people that you, you want to you know, model yourself after and, and stylistically, if you hear somebody that's like, oh, I kind of sound like that, then maybe you take some notes of it. But you also don't want to make sure that you want to make sure that you're not doing something a certain way because somebody else does it that way you just for me like i i do it the way that i do it because that's what i'm most comfortable with yeah the orioles are a bit on the cutting edge here because one of the new broadcasters is uh, melanie newman and uh, melanie is uh, someone you know very well jeff uh, she's been the lead um uh, broadcaster for the uh, salem red sox the high A salem red sox who play in the carolina league along with the frederick keys so so you've gotten to know melanie well you've, you've probably done an inning or two with her before and uh and she got the call to the big leagues too and i think uh, earlier this week uh you had, you had a chance to, to broadcast with melanie on the radio just can you can you talk about melanie and, and just what she brings to the table here Sure. We did our first game together on Monday against the Rays. Um, she was the first woman to ever broadcast a play-by-play of an Orioles game before. And I thought she she did a good job for her first time out. And I know she was nervous. and um, But like you can't not be if you're doing your first major league game, even if it's a spring training game. It's, it's impossible not to be. But um, but I thought she did a good job, and she and I have been friends for a while, and uh, she's somebody that I've I've helped out with some different things that that she was trying to do, and uh, she's uh, reached out to me for advice, and we we talk pretty frequently, and we're pretty good friends. So I had a fun time working with her, and I'd say with with Mel, what she does really well is tell stories of players, and she's really good, I think, at understanding um, broadcast flow and fit which I think when you do baseball is really hard because sometimes you might have something that you want to do but you don't necessarily pick the right time to do it I think she's pretty good at understanding that and then just getting the human side out of of different stories that she tells she's good at building relationships with people she's she's a she's a very easygoing and very nice person and I think that's kind of what makes her effective is that she can tell those stories and she can do so effectively in a certain way. And also um, telling stories, too, comes down to making sure they're not too long and not too short. And she's pretty good at presenting information in a way that you, you learn something um, and that you remember it. And I think that's what she does pretty well. What do, what do you think when she got called up to the big league roster, too? It's kind of interesting that it happened for you guys sort of at the same time from from the high A level. Well, I think that, you know, she's kind of like me in that um, just because we were doing minor league baseball during the season doesn't mean we weren't doing a lot of work in the offseason. And, and sort of like me, you know, a bunch of the things that she was doing in the offseason were a little more higher profile. And I think that was kind of what uh, helped her and also helped me kind of make, take our, our next step. And, you know, she had a skill set that was unique. She'd been a sideline reporter. She'd been a host. She'd done digital. She'd done play-by-play. Um, and it, it's kind of similar to me, even though my role is mostly play-by-play here. Um, I'd done a, a lot of the, the same things. And so I, I think what made her a good fit was just the fact that, like me, she had done this a while. Um, she was somebody that was was ready for the next step. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. And we were sort of in the same spot and had this uh, similar skill sets. And um, I think that's what kind of made her stand out, just sort of like it made me stand out. Um, and, and the Orioles were, were, were ready to, to take an opportunity on some younger people who had paid their dues and worked hard and had the skills necessary to do the job. And now we're getting an opportunity to, to show why we're, we're both here. Yeah, as experienced as you guys are, you, you mentioned you still get nervous. And how could you not before your first major league broadcast? 
And if you've been watching the Orioles uh, spring training at all on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, you, you, pr- you probably saw Jeff uh, last week uh, call, calling a game alongside uh, Ben McDonald. It was the Orioles and the Braves game. Uh, before that red light came on, Jeff, and you were on the air on television broadcasting a Major League Baseball game, uh, what, what, were your, what was going through your system? Well, I would say that probably two days before the game, I was really nervous uh, because I wanted to do a really good job. And I'd had lunch with Dawn, who is the TV producer and who's been a Dawn and I have been friends for a couple of years. And she's really, really, really good at what she does. And she was like, I think you're going to be great and and all these different things. And um, I'd say the night before I was actually pretty calm because I had put so much time and effort into getting prepared. And so when I ended up getting to the to Ed Smith Stadium the day of the game, I wasn't incredibly nervous. And then once we got to like an hour before the game, um, and after Dawn had come up and met with us and everything, I, I wasn't, I still, I really wasn't very nervous. I was more just anxious to get going. And then once the first pitch was thrown and we were actually underway, I realized that this is just like any of the ACC Network baseball games that I had called in the past. And working with Ben is super easy because he's really talented and he knows what he's doing. And television is the analyst medium anyway. So as long as you're just doing your job and you're prepared and uh, you're going to be fine. And that's, and I, and I was like, we knew we were going to talk to Brandon Hyde in the second inning. I had some questions and stuff that I, I knew I wanted to talk to him about. And Ben had some stuff he wanted to mention. We had Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Hall of Fame coming in, and um, he was there to talk about uh, some of the different things that they had coming up with the 100-year anniversary of the Negro Leagues, and so I had a bunch of questions for Bob, and then I knew we were going to talk to a couple of players. One of them was Stevie Wilkerson, a guy that I've known for years and who I have a good relationship with, and so just knowing all those things, and Steve Molesky came up as well, and Steve and I have been friends for years too, so just kind of knowing all those things and the fact that um, I was really well prepared on, on the Orioles and I had a bunch of notes on the Braves. I think just knowing that I was prepared and ready to go and that I'd done a bunch of television and I had a great staff around me kind of made me relaxed. And when I came out of the game, everyone was like, you thought you did great. And then did my first radio game a couple of days later with Mike Bordick and Bordick and I have known each other for, for a few years and it, that went really well. And then um, when I did the game with Melanie on Monday, it, it went, it went really well too. So I think once you do a couple and, and get those games under your belt and you realize it really is just baseball, um, and you know a bunch of the players anyways, and those that you don't know you've prepared for, um, I think it makes you feel a lot better. Preparation is the number one attribute a baseball broadcaster needs, right? If you're not prepared, you're, you're, you're not going to be good, right? I think it's kind of true for any broadcast that you do. Um, I'm not somebody that ever mails it in. I mean, there were there, there may be some, some broadcasts where um, – you know, if you, especially if you're doing baseball and you travel the night before and you get in really late or you get in really early or what have you, and you there may be times where you're not going to have as much time to prepare as you'd like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you, you're not going to be prepared. I mean, I'd say for me that I spent a lot of time getting ready and doing work and and making sure that when I show up that I'm I'm ready to roll. And there's plenty of that preparation that I won't use for that game that I'm supposed to do. But I can always use it for the next game, and that's why I have so many notes and different things on everybody. And and preparation also is just an ongoing thing that we're we're doing it every day. And even though it may not be something that we're going to use on that particular broadcast, um, you might use it next time. And so uh, preparation for me has always been essential to what I do. And um, as long as you're prepared, I think that generally it, it tends to go okay once you start to get experience and. You, you have a lot of game hours uh, under your belt just doing play-by-play of everything. Uh, once you add that in the preparation, then I think you tend to be in pretty good shape as long as you have some natural ability to do this. Yeah, I mean, you have to be prepared, obviously, but baseball especially, just because there's such lulls in the action and and, and, and there's such downtime that you don't get in other sports. In basketball, you could sort of rely on the action to carry a, a little bit as a broadcaster, but in baseball, you have to you have to know the story. You have to know the backstories. You have to know people, and you have to be able to weave that through the course of the action and, and the course of the game. So baseball, it seems like, would require a unique skill set for a broadcaster just because you, you have to be able to tell stories, uh, which you've always specialized in doing. Right. And doing baseball, you build stories over time as you build relationships with people. 
But when you're doing radio every day, that people will talk about the downtime. But you do need to remember that, you know, being a good baseball broadcaster is about uh, making sure everyone knows what's going on throughout the broadcast. So it means setting your defense and describing little things that when you're doing radio, you can't really take for granted. Um, and then when you're doing TV, it's it's about knowing how to get the analysts their time in and make sure you're not talking too much because people can see what's going on. And I think you'll get more criticism for over talking rather than under talking. Um, but, you know, for baseball, it's it really is one of the, the challenging games to call. And you hear plenty of people say, well, I would I would never want to do baseball, but I like doing baseball because you have to have like every club in your bag. So there are times where you're going to just have to call straight play by play because people will be swinging at the first pitch. There's going to be times where you're going to need to tell stories because the game's not very interesting to, to listen to. There are times where you're going to need to know how to employ silence effectively because you've been talking for a stretch and you want to let people breathe you want to let you want to let it breathe or you want to make sure that if you you say something that's important you might want to breathe a little bit to let it sink in and make 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 sure the people who are listening or watching know that what you're saying that particular fact is important um so it's it's employing all those different things and then also you know the difference there's a difference between working with another play-by-play partner where they'll jump in every once in a while and then working with an analyst where they have a specific skill set that they want to cover and that's another part of it as well so every broadcast a little bit different but i'd say baseball is the my favorite to broadcast just because you're required to do a little bit of everything and if you can do that effectively then you can make the game come to life and um, it's never dull uh, that's the that's the thing about baseball is that there's always a challenge um, to to making a, you know a broadcast sound good or just to you know, no one ever calls a perfect game you know in baseball or really in any sport for that matter um, and plus when you when you if you can do baseball well you can do pretty much any other sport I'd say passably and it can make you better at, at doing other sports and then vice versa too with baseball but um, it, it's a challenge and I, I think that's why like I said it, it took me four or five years to figure out how to do it but but once I kind of figured out the recipe that worked for me. Um, that's when I, I started to take off. Yeah. Well, before I ask you about the team and just sort of, sort of your early impressions uh, through spring training here, just sort of set the scene for what an Oriole broadcast will be like. Like who's going to be on the air, who's not going to be on the air, just TV and radio, just sort of what can people expect from, from the Orioles broadcast crew this, this year? I would say that you're going to hear a lot of variety. Um, I, I'd say that for a radio broadcast, there are going to be times where you're going to be hear me and Kevin Brown, uh, who's you know a very talented broadcaster with ESPN and who was with the Orioles last year and who uh, is really really good. There are going to be times we're going to hear me and Melanie, and so that broadcast will probably take on a little bit of a, a different shape, just as it will with Kevin and Melanie when they do games together and I'm off. And then there'll be times where you'll hear me with a bunch of analysts who all are really good at what they do. So when you hear from Greg Olson, you might hear a little bit more pitching talk. Ben McDonald can do that, and he's also really good with uh, the different analytics, but also the the mental side of the game. He brings a unique perspective. Brian Roberts is a tremendously talented analyst who can break down a little bit of everything. Mike Bordick has spent time as a player. He had a great career with the Orioles, a member of their Hall of Fame. And then he also spent time working as an infield instructor and as a coach. So he can kind of analyze a little bit of everything. And then, you know, if you watch a TV broadcast, you have Jim Palmer who's a Hall of Famer and has so much time in the game and so much knowledge of the history of the organization. And then Gary Thorne's just one of the ultimate pros and one of the, you know, the best to ever do it and across multiple sports. So I think you're going to get something a little bit different, but I think you're always going to know what's going on. You're always going to be able to learn something that, that maybe you didn't know before, be it a story or anecdote or maybe a game situation or just something different every night. And I think that variety, both not only in the game broadcast, but pre and post game shows and digital content, uh, people will be able to find a little bit of everything that's fun and that's interesting. And, and as we go, I think we'll kind of figure out what our what our different um, roles are going to be as far as producing good digital content and making things fun. And, uh, and as we, as we go, we'll, we'll tweak things and make adjustments, but that's, you know, the players have to do that and the broadcasters do as well. 
Yeah, it, it seems like you guys are again are on parallel tracks. The broadcast team and and, and the actual team. Uh, Jim Hunter uh, and uh, and Tom Davis will be involved heavily in the di- the digital stuff. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, Tom will be uh, doing some different like updates and different things, and then Jim will be doing a lot of feature pieces. Uh, focusing on a lot of the the minor league talent. The digital space is so big right now, and that's why the Orioles and a lot of other different organizations have put so much time into it. And as we all know with the Orioles too, uh, the future is in the minor league system, especially in the lower minors, uh, places like uh, Frederick and Delmarva. Uh, That's where a lot of the the talent that is newer is right now and where uh, some of the picks that were drafted last year um, are, are going to be going this year. And the Orioles' 2019 draft was really strong. So uh, the digital pieces that will be presented by those two guys who are both veterans and pros and uh, have both had incredible careers, um, that's where they're really going to shine, and I think that will make us all uh, a lot better. And there will be another familiar voice the Orioles have added to the mix, and, and that's that of Scott Garceau, a longtime Baltimore broadcaster. He'll be, he'll be uh, doing some TV games uh, when, when, when Gary Thorne's not on. Yeah, Scott will be doing, I think, about 50 games on television, and then he'll be doing pre- and post-game. I've gotten to see Scott a little bit. Uh, he's, I think, got a week left of his radio show at 105.7 The Fan before he moves on with the Orioles full-time, but I caught up with Scott the other day. He's a an absolute gentleman, number one. Um, number two, he's had an incredible career. The original voice of the Ravens, he's done Orioles broadcast in the past with Brooks Robinson, and we got to spend some time with him last week. Um, me and Ben and Jim Hunter, we were all talking about um, Scott's kind of first run with the team and how he got to work with Brooks Robinson, and he has so many great stories to tell. And um, Scott is great at what he does, and it's going to be great to get to to know him a little bit better as the season goes on. But um, it's going to be exciting to work with him and, and everybody else. And uh, it's, a, it's a super, super talented group. And uh, even though they're, you know, maybe we're in a spot where we could each use name tags right now to get to know everybody, um, I think as we, we move along in the season that we're going to produce a lot of great content, both in our game broadcasts and elsewhere, and that we're going to give fans a great product that they can look forward to seeing. All right, Jeff, I want you to give Orioles fans some hope here because, as you know, the expectations are low. Uh, a lot of the faces and the names aren't, aren't, aren't widely recognized. Um, uh, it's not all doom and gloom, I would say, but, but, but people aren't expecting much from the Orioles. So, so give the fans a reason to, to tune in and, and, and to watch this team this year. Well, I would say, number one, you have a lot of exciting young talent on the team. So Austin Hayes, you figure will probably be the everyday center fielder for the club. John Means is coming off a year where he was an all-star, and so far he's looked great uh, in spring training. You have some players that are going to be making their big league debuts, such as Ryan Malcastle, who I think everybody expects to be up there at some point. And then in the minor league system, there's a lot of talent, like I mentioned, at the low minors. Guys like D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, who has spent a bunch of time in big league camp so far. There are a lot of reasons to get excited about the future of this team. And then there, there's some other uh, players that I'm sure, like, you know, John Means was the story last year, kind of came out of nowhere. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a guy or two like that this year who joins the Orioles or is currently on the, the Orioles from, from last year and breaks out in a way that no one was expecting. And that's the, the reasons why you get excited to come to the park every day. Yeah, what are you look most looking forward to? I'd say right now, if I were looking at some different uh, storylines for the team, I'm excited to see how the starting rotation battle is going to work itself out. I think that you're going to have John Means and Alec, and, and Alex Cobb, who are both going to be uh, at the very top of that rotation, assuming that both stay healthy. Asher Wojciechowski, I would imagine, would slot into the the three spot. You've got a couple of veteran left-handers in Wade LeBlanc and Tommy Malone that would probably be at the very back end of the rotation. Uh, You have two exciting Rule 5 picks in Brandon Bailey. Brandon's going to pitch tomorrow. And Michael Rucker, who's a former uh, Cubs prospect, who have both presented themselves, I think, very well in spring training. And then you have some some different uh, battles going on in camp right now, one for a utility spot and uh, Brandon Hyde, I think, is still trying to figure out, does he want to carry a couple super utility guys? Does he want to carry a couple of outfield guys? Uh, the backup catcher spot is is up for grabs between two former keys and Austin Wins and Chance Sisko uh, to go with Pedro Severino. 
And so I think those are some of the the, the big storylines that you're looking at right now. As for me, what I'm most excited about is just to do baseball at Camden Yards every day and also to visit some places that I've never gotten to go before and to meet some of the broadcasters that I've been listening to for years and really respect and really like but have never gotten to connect with before. Uh, And then also maybe getting to see some people that I have talked to on the phone or through social media or something else and uh, and haven't gotten to meet in person so that's going to be really cool and uh, also just uh, the opportunity to to be part of uh, a big league team every day and to see the ebbs and flows and uh, the different people that come in and and talking about people's major league debuts because I think there'll be a number of those this year and 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 a number of them I think are going to be of players that I've worked with before and seen in Frederick and kind of have followed their journeys up there I think that's what will make it pretty special for me is just how many of these guys I've known and then to get them to see them make their first uh, you know outings or games played at, at Camden Yards or on the road with the Orioles that'll be pretty cool right and you won't be that far away but what, what will you miss about this place uh, Frederick I'd say number one the people everybody was really welcoming when I arrived Dave Zidelis gave me an opportunity to be part of the keys and was very accommodating and very kind and and very understanding as to to what a broadcaster needs to be able to do if he's going to reach his ultimate uh, dream and that is to hopefully broadcast Major League Baseball and he was super accommodating when I'd need to leave at three o'clock in the afternoon some days to do basketball games or when I would need to go other places to, to do different events that I that I had uh, going on. Um, he understood that that I was on a bit of a different track than everybody else, and that was just kind of what was required, and he, he understood that, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, all the different broadcast partners that I had, you know, Jack Keffer, who is a good buddy, has taken over for me. Uh, I'm really proud of him, and I'm going to miss not getting to see him every day. Um, and then also, um, you know, I love the restaurants in the area. I love going to JoJo's and Brewer's Alley and Oscars and some of the different great places that were there and uh, being able to get to work, you know, in five minutes um, from where I live. That was always really nice. So I would say it's the people. I'd say it was the food. I'd say it was the ballpark and the, the folks that I got to work with that, that made it such a great experience. Yeah, we're, we're, we're likely to see Mr. Rutschman here, right? Adley Rutschman likely to start in Frederick? Is that what you're hearing? You know what? I, I don't know for now. It sounds like he's going to be between Delmarva and Frederick, but I, or, you know, it, it'll be one of those two spots where he starts. But, but frankly, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they took everyone on that Delmarva team and moved them up to Frederick uh, in that process in their development. So I would, I would, I would bet that he probably starts in Frederick, though we'll have to see how the rest of spring training works out. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, we're going to miss you here, too. So uh, you've been so helpful and so valuable, such a great friend uh, to me over the last five years, uh, always accommodating. I'm I'm going to miss having lunch with you on a semi uh, regular basis. So um, but but this opportunity is well, well deserved. Jeff is only um, 32 years old. Um, he's, he's worked very hard for this. He's always prepared. Uh, he's, he's very talented. Uh, I've been telling him for a long time that you just got to be patient, patient and, and your opportunity will come and, and it has, and, and I know you're going to do great with it. So, uh, so wish you well, my friend, uh, enjoy those, uh, plane rides instead of bus rides, all, all those nice ballpark meals, uh, uh, the, the five star hotels as opposed to the, just the, the roadside motels, uh, You've you've um, you've earned it all, and, and you deserve it all. So so, wish you the best, man. Really appreciate it, Greg. You've been a great friend. It's been fun working with you for uh, the time that we we had together, and I'm I'm looking forward to continuing to to follow the organization from from where I am right now. And uh, I'm sure we'll be we'll be catching you down the road at some point soon. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget about us here, and and this is not goodbye by any stretch. I'm still going to be not bugging even you on close. the phone. I'm going to I'm going to be uh, bugging you on the phone from time to time and just seeing how things are going. So and and uh, with with Brandon Klein in the system too, I might I might uh, might come see you at Camden Yards every once in a while too. So please do. We uh, we look forward to seeing you. All right, Jeff, go find a hammock, darn it, and, <laughs> and, 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 and go enjoy a drink. Uh, l- 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 listen to the rustle of, of, of the palms. So Absolutely. Um, but, all right, dude, uh, when, when's your next TV game? When, when can we next catch you on TV? 
Um, I think the next time I'm on Madison will be either the 12th or the 13th. It's the game that they play against the Blue Jays. That's my next one. But uh, definitely also listen to the Orioles Radio Network. That's where I'll be. Um, and you can also listen on the uh, MLB at Bat app. That's a great way to, to catch games if you're in the car or on the go or, or not in the area where you can catch one of our affiliates. But um, my I do radio. For taping this on a Wednesday, I do games Thursday against the Twins, Friday at the Yankees, Saturday in Tampa and Port Charlotte, and then uh, I think next week is my next TV game. But uh, it's either the 12th or 13th, but it's against the Blue Jays at, at Smith Stadium. And uh be okay. doing that one with Brian Roberts, and it'll be great. All right, uh, Jeff Arnold uh, of, of, of the Baltimore Orioles. Thanks for doing this, dude. And, ho- and hopefully your equipment's better than ours because we, 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 we had a tough time uh, getting this going. But glad we're able to make it work. Great to catch up and uh, look forward to hearing you as the season gets started here. So. Absolutely, Greg. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. And my thanks also to Graham Collin uh, for, for putting this together and all of you for tuning in. Um, we will be back next week with another episode of The Final Score, so we will see you then. Take care, everyone. We'll be right back.